Good morning, everyone. I'm so glad you're joining us here at Cross Community Church live online from wherever you are quarantined around the world. So glad if this is your first time to join us. Thank you for being with us. Say hi to us online. Leave a comment uh, or an emoji so we know that you're here. Um, Usually in our church, we greet one another and we say hello and we hug and shake hands and do high fives, but we can't do that today. But I still felt like we should sing the song that gathers us back from our greeting time. It's a song that says that I belong here in his presence and you belong here in his presence and there's hope because we are here together. And I think it applies even online. So we're gonna sing that together today, right in your living room. Go ahead and let's sing this together. Hallelujah, I belong here in his presence, safe and secure. I see hope coming on the horizon. There's no need for hiding, cause I belong, you belong, hallelujah, you belong here, in his presence, safe and secure, we see hope coming on the horizon, there's no need for hiding. go now into our retreat setting. This is brand new for us in this Lent season. And so I'm going to have, we did some pre-recorded videos so that we can read scriptures. So grab your Bible, however you get your Bible. Uh, Grab a journal or some paper and something to write with. Get a good refill on your coffee. We did some pre-recorded videos to do this so we would have less people in the building as we practice social distancing. So go ahead and get ready, and those videos are going to come up here in just two seconds. Hey everyone, so glad that you could join us here on our first C3 NAS watch party. We're going to go through our normal service, and we're glad that you're able to join us. So you'll need your journal, you'll need a Bible, and we're going to have a great, great day today. You'll notice today in the scriptures that we read that all of them focus on God knowing our need and God's willingness to meet that need. And so I hope that you will keep that in mind as you hear the scriptures read to you, as you pause and take a moment to journal. If this is your first time to be with us, we want you to know that normally we have music like churches do and do all of those things. But we are taking this time, this season of Lent, to let go of music for a little bit and focus more on reading scripture and doing a little bit of journaling. We call that listening to God. So what I'm going to encourage you to do as you hear the scriptures read, when something grabs your attention, it could be a word or a phrase, 
go ahead and write that word or phrase down in your journal. And then when it's done, you're going to take just a few moments. You may want to pause the video for three to five minutes and let everyone in your home uh, journal about whatever phrase or word jumped off the page at them. Ask God, why did you bring that to my attention? And then just let your mind go and write a little bit about why you think that phrase or that verse might have connected with your real life today. I think that you'll find that God still speaks to us through the Bible. And so take a moment to get ready. And in just a moment, you'll hear the first scripture read. We're so glad that you've joined us. And I'll see you when, I, when we get to the sermon part of the message. Glad you're here. First Samuel 16, 1 through 13. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice the Lord to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indica indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, Do you come in peace? Samuel replied, Yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited him to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Elahab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed strand stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? Well, there is the still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending to the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. Now will we take time to pause and listen to God as we journal for five minutes.
Ephesians 5, 8 through 14. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Now we will take time to pause and listen to God as we journal for five minutes.
Would you stand with me for the reading of the gospel? We'll be reading from John chapter 9, verses 1 to 41. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man or his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was the Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner perform such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, He is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received the sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one they say is born blind? How is it he can now see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That is why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from. Yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me, so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. 
Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. This is the good news of Jesus Christ for the people of God. And we say thank you to God. You may be seated. Go ahead and spend the next couple minutes in times of reflection and journaling.
As we prepare our hearts for prayer, each week we've been reading the psalm for that week. And this week is a psalm that declares that the Lord knows our need. And so we have nothing that we lack. It's, of course, the 23rd psalm, and so I'll read that as you quiet your heart and we begin to move towards a time of prayer together. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley or the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. As we go to prayer, there are a few things we want to remember this morning. Of course, we want to remember our world and this global pandemic. We want to specifically remember our emergency workers, our first responders, our doctors, our nurses who are consistently putting themselves and their families in the path of this pathogen and so that we can be quarantined and be safe. We also want to remember the grocery store workers and the truck drivers who are doing all they can to make sure that we have what we need when we go to the store to buy a lot of stuff. We want to remember our friends. Uh, we took a missions trip this summer to Croatia and they had quite an earthquake this morning. I've been in contact with the, the church there and they're all doing okay but they'll be doing a lot of cleanup in the city and with the pandemic on, who knows what that's going to look like. So pray for our friends in, in Croatia, in Zagreb. We also want to remember JP uh, uh, Jimenez, who lost his uncle this week in a tragic accident. So let's remember their family. But let's go to the Lord in prayer. And remember that he is with us. He knows our needs and will meet those needs. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today and our world is in need. There's a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety, and a lot of worry as we continue to see the numbers of those who are sick come in the numbers of those who have lost their lives already. And so we turn our hearts to you and we ask, Father, that you would help us. You know our needs and we pray that you would meet our needs. We pray that you would help the scientists and those who are working on a cure or those who are working on a vaccine to have wisdom beyond their years and that you would help them and give them insight to see how human life can be protected from this tragedy. 
We do lift up here in our city and around the world those doctors and nurses, those technicians, those firefighters, police officers, ambulance drivers, and paramedics who are putting themselves in harm's way right now. And even potentially putting their families in harm's way. We pray that you would protect them. We pray that you would keep them from the virus, that they would be able to continue helping and bringing healing to our world. We pray for those who do those jobs that we can often overlook, but in a time like this come right into the forefront. Those who are working in grocery stores, those who are driving trucks to make the supply chains continue to roll. Bless them and help them. Keep them safe on the road. Keep them from contracting the virus. We pray, Father. We pray for those who have already been laid off. We pray that this would come to an end soon and we pray, God, that work would be restored. We pray in the meantime that you would help us as the church through our food bank and through outreach ministries to be able to help those who are in need during this time. Be with our leaders both at the federal and the state and the local level, as they begin to look to pass legislation that would help financially, we pray that they would have their hearts pulled towards those who are most economically affected by this. We pray that you would soften all our hearts to see the humanity in one another and help us to reach out. Father, help us, because as all of this is going on in our world, there are still the, the things that are normal in our lives going on. And so we pray for the, the, the Jimenez family. We pray that you would bless and help them and comfort them in this tragic loss of JP's uncle. We pray for Bob and Joyce Alds, who are grieving the loss of Bob's mom. We pray that you would comfort them. We pray for those in our community who are impacted, who are looking for work, and now this makes things a little bit more difficult. Help them to trust you. Help us also, Father, to remember that we are called, even in circumstances like this, to be a giving people. So as we give to you, may we realize that this is our testimony, this is the time we trust in you. That giving today means that we are saying to ourselves and those around us, we trust you for life, not our bank accounts. And we pray that the money that is given would be used to bless our community, to help our school, uh, Olivet Nazarene University, to help missionaries around the world, including those in Croatia whom we know and love pray your blessing on them as they seek to be a community there that helps as that city will look to, res to restore during this difficult time. So help us to give, to give generously with glad hearts and to trust you in all things. For we pray and ask all of these things through Christ our Lord who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. And everyone said,
amen, amen, and amen. Well, now we come to our time where we traditionally give. And uh, normally we would have the ushers come and pass the plates, but we're not going to be able to do that today. So if you're a cash or check only kind of person, we'll need you to do something. You'll need to mail that in. And our address is 5625 Oakland Drive in Portage, Michigan, 49024. That will be on the screen at the end of our service if you didn't get a chance to write that down. But there's another way that you can give that's, that's quicker and maybe more efficient, and that is to go on our website, c3naz.net. And once you're there, you just go up here and you click on the online giving slot, and then it should walk you through it. Go ahead and give there. We appreciate your giving. Like I said, it goes to so many places, missionaries in over 150 world areas. Uh, to our school, Olivet Nazarene University in Bourbonnet, Illinois, and to our local community, our food bank, our help uh, here within our local community. So give, and we thank you for your generous giving. We'll give you a couple of minutes, and then we'll begin our teaching time in Ecclesiastes. God bless you as you give. invite you to take your Bible one more time and to open it to the book of Ecclesiastes. We're going to continue our journey and our teaching time through Ecclesiastes. And so turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and we're going to begin at verse 1. This is probably the most famous passage in this book and I think you'll understand why as soon as I start reading. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 beginning at verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. 
I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will reverence Him. Whatever is has already been, and what will be has been before, and God will call the past to account. This is the Word of God for the people of God, and our response is, thanks be to God. Well, we've had quite a week. It's been uh, something that I don't believe any of us have anticipated happening. I know it's been a scramble for us to get all of this ready so that we could be in your home today. But I think that this, this message from this book in the wisdom literature has something to teach us. And because it's been such a crazy week, and because there may be some of you who are joining us for the first time, I thought it would be good that we just focus in and do a quick recap of where we are. So if you don't know this, the book of Ecclesiastes is found in the Hebrew Bible, or as we Christians call it, the Old Testament, and it is a part of what we call the wisdom literature, and that's made up of three, some scholars would say four, but for our purposes today, we'll say three books, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. And these all kind of function as if three very wise people all got together in a coffee shop to have coffee. They're not social distancing. They're getting together. And uh, they are chatting about what is really the wisest way to live in the world. And so Proverbs kind of starts us out. And Proverbs has a lot of these what we call wise sayings. They kind of function like this. The wise person does this and then we'll list out a few different things that a wise person will do and usually contrasts it with what a foolish person will do and they'll do these things so the wise will do this the uh the the foolish will do these things and so it functions in this way over and over and lots of ways of trusting god in the world It, it begins with that the fear of god or the reverencing of god the realizing that god's ways are the wisest ways to live in the world is the beginning of wisdom. Now it's important to realize that it is the book of Proverbs and not the book of promises. But that's hard for us because it often feels like they are promises. In fact, if you were to turn to Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 8, I'll give you an example of this. It It reads there, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him... That's what you do. That's the action. And he will make your paths straight. So if I do all those things, then I can just walk the path straightly. It feels like a promise, but it's actually a Proverbs. We'll say more about that in just a second. It goes on and says, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. So if you're not wise in your own eyes... Uh, and you fear the Lord and shun evil, you reverence the Lord and you shun evil, this will bring health to your body. That's what, what it feels like a promise and nourishment to your bones. But this is a proverb. 
This is a good way to live, but it doesn't always work out that way. And Job wants to let you know that right away. So when you get into the book of Job, he begins to, that book begins to show us that an upright life still can have suffering involved. In fact, if you look at the very first verse of Job, it talks about in the land of Uts, there, was, there lived a man whose name was Job. Now, this will sound familiar to you. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. That's what Proverbs just told us. And yet, once you go on into the book of Job, even though he was one who feared God and shunned evil, great catastrophe and great suffering came upon him. Now, Ecclesiastes is the book that ties them both together. And it is a book that is there to challenge our assumptions. It takes a really good, hard, honest look at life and wants to hold these two things in tension. It's a very critical book. It looks at things from the negative side. It's a wet blanket on all of our assumptions about what the best way to live life is all about. And so we looked and saw that there's one word that's kind of used over and over and over throughout the book. If you read any further or you read any of the chapters up to chapter 3, you'll see this here. And that is the word in your Bible translated meaningless. But the Hebrew word is the word hevel. So go ahead and say it. We always say the words here. So one, two, three, say hevel. We'll say it one more time so it gets in your memory. One, two, three, hevel. And we learned that 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 word is not about meaningless, like it's pointless to live your life. Or in some of your translations it says vanity. It's not that someone is self-obsessed. What it means is smoke or vapor. In other words, it looks solid. If you ever have blown out a candle and the smoke is coming up, it looks like something solid, like you could grab, like even like a liquid or something. But as soon as you put your hand around it, it's gone. It's there, and then it's gone too soon. And the writer, the teacher in Ecclesiastes wants us to know that life is like that. He keeps coming back to that over and over and over again. Hevel, hevel, all is hevel. Smoke and vapor, it seems like it's there. And then just when I think I've got it, it's gone through my grasp. Now the interesting thing about our passage today is this is one of the places, a very lengthy place, where that word hevel is not used at all. And so it feels like this is a really positive chapter. But I think that we think it's so positive because of that great song written by the group The Birds. You know you're singing it right now. To every season, turn, turn, turn. You know you're you're singing it. It's okay. Uh, Go ahead and let that go. But I want you to know that this continues the theme of Ecclesiastes. It is actually a big challenge. And it is a challenge to one of our greatest assumptions. And that is our assumption about unlimited freedom. Now what do I mean by unlimited freedom? Well, unlimited freedom is the belief that I can do whatever I want, whenever I want, And I can change whatever I want, whenever I want. That is the great assumption, the great belief of unlimited freedom. And the the thing is, the greater the power in this world that you have, the greater that assumption becomes. 
And you know that's true. It just seems to be the principle that's at work in the world. All the way down into our very lives, we just think, I can do whatever I want, whenever I want. I can change whatever I want, whenever I want. The older you get, the more this assumption gets challenged. But it is still the prevailing concept in our world today. And Ecclesiastes brings in poetry in order to challenge that assumption at a deep level. So the teacher comes with his poem and says, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. That challenges us because it says there's a time and a season. And the thing is, we don't set up the times or the seasons. God does. And so I want us to take a second and look at some of these things, some of these seasons that, the, that he brings up in his poetry because I think it will begin to help us. In the second half of, of verse 2, he's, or I'm sorry, in the first part of verse 2, he says, a time to be born and a time to die. Think about that for a second. Not a single one of us chose to be born. Not a single one of us chose the time. Not a single one of us chose the date. Not a single one of us chose the method of delivery. It was just something that was ordained already. It happens. And you are here not of your own choice. Not because of your unlimited freedom. We, we know that a time to die, that one says, well, some people do choose the time of their death. And yet, if we're really honest with ourselves, we still feel a sense of some, that something is out of order when someone takes their own life. Because we somehow sense or know deep in the core of who we are that we don't have unlimited freedom. That that life is a gift and we are not to take it. And the truth is, we don't know when our last breath is. I have sat with many, many people, in fact, in just the last week, who we knew were moving towards that last breath, but you never know when it's going to happen. When it happens, you're always right there, and you know a few moments after it takes place. We don't determine everything. Let's move on. A time to plant and a time to uproot. I actually have an example of this. See, Lori and I, last year, we decided we wanted to put tulips. We have some tulips, but the bulbs are getting old and they're not always flowering. And so we bought tulips back when you're supposed to plant tulips. The time, the season for tulip planting is uh, as we're moving into winter. It gives the bulbs time to do what they need to do under the ground and then come up. Well, Here are the bulbs. Here is the food for those bulbs. They're still in the bag. They are not in the ground. And from what everything I've been told, if we planted them now, it would do us no good. Because we didn't pay attention to the time and the season. We don't have unlimited freedom to just do everything we want exactly when we want. And the times and the seasons challenge us and remind us. Maybe you haven't planted tulips, but here's one I think we've all uh, understood. If you've ever taken the time to let a tomato fully ripen on the vine, and you take it off, and it's, you know, around August, 
and it's, it's gotten all the way red, and it's just the right amount of softness and, and firmness, and you're, you're ready, and you slice it, and you smell that tomato slice, and you put a little salt, and if you're like me, some pepper on there, and you take it. There's a big difference between one that participated all the way in the season and one that was pulled off the vine when it was green and loaded onto a truck and driven thousands of miles. And it got kind of red on its way. And it gets to mire and they put a light on it that brings out even more of the redness. But when you slice it, you know this just didn't follow the seasons. That's because we don't control all things. There is a season and a time for everything under heaven. If we move on to verse 3, the first part, a time to kill and a time to heal. Now this one is, is a little difficult, that's why I wanted, to, wanted us to uh, hear it. Now I, I need you to understand that this was written in an agricultural society. And the Hebrew word that is used there is not the word for murder. So don't think there's a time for you to go and kill someone. It was actually the word for slaughter. And in an agricultural society, this makes sense. I get to see examples of that with my father-in-law's farm sometimes. Sometimes he goes out and a cow is sick. He, he raises cows and, and he will heal them. It's a season for healing the cows. You can see it's obvious that they are they're sick, whatever. They get them in the head gate and, and they apply the medicine and give them what they want. It's the season for healing. And that is not the time for slaughter. You don't send a, a sick cow off to market. No one wants to buy it. You're going to lose your money. It's silly. But that same cow that you healed in the season of healing is the cow now that it's healthy you send off to slaughter. There's a time for everything. And you learn how to cooperate with the season in the time that you can't just do everything you want when you want it let's move on to uh, five the, the second part of, of verse five a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing i don't know about you but this one hits me this week because we are now in a time to refrain from embracing and we didn't choose this and this is why it's so hard so often to be in our homes or told we need to stay in our homes. We need to be in our homes and, and you can't leave. And, and it just challenges us because we think we should be able to do whatever we want, whenever we want, change whatever we want, whenever we want. And this season is challenging that in our world and in our country, in our state, in our city. That this is a season where we must refrain from embracing and it, it strikes hard at our egos that want to say that we can do whatever we want, whenever we want. You get the feeling of this passage? Is it challenging you? Is it, is it hitting home with you? Is it confronting that part of your life? Because we all have these moments in our lives where this idea, this belief of unlimited freedom comes to the front and is challenged now the wise person learns to participate with the seasons they learn to know when it's time to do what and how to operate that we do have some freedom within the limited scope of the seasons and the time and a wise person learns to operate in them 
They also remember that the seasons do something. They turn, 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 turn. That they do move. They do change. The seasons we don't like bloom and blossom into the seasons that we love. And the seasons that we love fall like the autumn leaves back into the ones that we hate. And that reminds us to not get too attached to those. And when we're in the seasons that we hate, to not be too dismayed. Because someday soon, that season will turn, 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 turn. So what do we do? I I think it, it reminds us then that Gandalf was right. And if you're just joining us, this is your first time with us, one thing you'll learn about me as a pastor is that I love the Lord of the Rings. I've been reading those books since I was about 11 years old in fourth grade or 10 year, nine years old, 10 years old, somewhere in there. And, uh, and this is one of my favorite lines when Frodo is confronted with this evil season. And he wishes that it had never happened and why did he have to live in this time And you probably know it because it's in the movies too. Gandalf says, So do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to us. The time, the season that is given to us. What will we decide to do with that? What can we do? Well, I would argue this morning that we can, in this season where our belief in unlimited freedom is being challenged and we're sitting in our homes, that one of the greatest things that you and I could do is take this time to get to know and learn to trust in the One who created the seasons and knows all the times and their turnings. This is a great opportunity for us. And the teacher, in fact, begins to say that if you go down to verse 11. um, That God has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. In other words, He has made everything beautiful. That word also has the connotation of purposeful. That there is something of purpose in the midst of this season that we are going through. I don't know what it is yet, and I hope that there will be some great purpose that shows itself in the the coming weeks, but there is something that will happen out of even something like this. He has also set eternity in in our hearts. It means that we are made in God's image. You are made in God's image. I am made in God's image. And we have this desire to look both to the past and to know what's coming in the future. When the Hebrew person would use the word eternity, they're not thinking about after we die, going to heaven, things along those lines. They're thinking about all of time from the far past way off into the future. They long to know it. They long to understand it. And we have that as a part of that image of God within us. And yet, we are not God. And so we must realize that we can't comprehend everything. Verse 11 goes on, No one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. In other words, there are some times we just have to trust while we are searching. While we are living into who God has created us to be in this season that we may not be enjoying. 
So what can we do in this time? What does the teacher say? Look at verse 12. He says, I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil. This is the gift of God. There is nothing better for people than to be happy. Again, there's that word. It is that word flourish. Uh, It is not just about being happy. Like, oh, if I'm sad, I'm not doing God's will. It is It is looking for the flourishing parts of even this season. And to do good while they live. That in our life, in whatever season or time we find ourselves, we are called to do the good thing. To look out for the needs of our neighbors. To trust. To feed the hungry. To clothe the naked. To help the poor. And then he goes on and says that each of them may eat and drink. Aren't you glad? That's in the Bible. (laughs) That in this time we are called to eat and to drink. And to find satisfaction. That phrase, that understanding literally translated means to see the good. To look for the good in this situation. In all your toil. In other words, in your work. In your calling. That this looking, this flourishing, this doing good to those around us. To eat and to drink, to be with our families, to see the good in this situation and in your work and in your calling. All of this is a gift from God. All of this. So what will you do during this season of quarantine? How can you get to know God better? Well, part of it you've practiced today. There's a time of reading Scripture, and and when something jumps off the page at you, you write it down and and just dialogue with God and let, let your pen move across the page and write what's in your heart and what God may be saying to you. There's, there's a possibility of doing some small groups and connecting with friends on, on apps like Zoom. We have great blessing with this technology that we can use nowadays. We have a goal as a church to start 10 new small groups. We have three of them that are going right now. I would love to see the other seven groups become like Zoom small groups. It's a free app. You go, you just search for Zoom on Google. And uh, you can go there for 40 minutes. You and up to, I think, 25 people can gather together. Just get six or seven. And on your lunch break, you can take 40 minutes and check in with each other and pray or read a passage of Scripture or discuss the sermon or, or do something along those lines and share how it's speaking to you. We can do this even during this season. Maybe God is calling us as a church to fulfill some groups. Who are you going to reach out to and get in your group over these next few weeks? Will you find the good? Will you look for the good in your workplace, in your job? For some of you, it will just be that you still have one. For others, it will be looking for the good job and calling that you will move on to in this season. Will you look for the good in people I know when we're scared and, and when we're nervous, it's, it's like we look at other people in, in kind of dark eyes. It was weird. I went to Costco as this was beginning to take place, and I was just going to get a, some milk and, and some salt for our water softener. 
but you could feel the anxiety, and it was almost like everybody looked at you like you were a competitor for the toilet paper or something along those lines. Can we, during this season, begin to look for the image of God in the other person? Can we be grateful for life, even in this season? Will you take time? Maybe some of you are going to do it as soon as this long-winded preacher gets done to eat and to drink and to take those things in with you with gratitude for what we have. Will you check in on your neighbors and your relatives? Will you look in and see what they need? You can do that through technology. I've been so impressed with people who are at grocery stores with signs saying, if you're elderly, I will, I will go shopping for you. I'll bring that to your door so that you don't have to come in. Beginning to look to the least of these and letting our actions be shaped by doing good even in this season. Letting go of our false assumption of unlimited freedom and doing good on behalf of others. Even the smallest gesture is part of getting to know the God who made the seasons and causes the times to turn, 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 turn. What will you do? This is a difficult season. I miss you all. Preaching to an empty sanctuary is is one of the saddest things I've had to do in my life and ministry here. But I know the one who turns the seasons knows what we need and is more than willing to give it. For when he knew we were lost, he did not withhold even his own son, but sent him to find us, that we might know love. And I believe that this season of refraining will someday spring back into a time where we can embrace again. Until then, I want to eat and to drink, to love my family, to find new ways to enjoy my calling while I am trusting and getting to know the God of season turnings in a way that will allow rejoicing to take place in my home where I will continue to be quarantined during this season. Will you do that? Church, will we do that together? That's our question. That's what Ecclesiastes will call us to today. So let's bow our heads and let's pray to the one who causes the seasons to turn. Father, the teacher has challenged us today. And the truth is, we do often think that we have unlimited freedom. And this season challenges us today because we're called to limit ourselves, to stay in our homes. We have lots of things that we can do in that limited season and time. But the truth is, it's hard. So help us in this season to get to know you to do the things that the teacher reminds us. To eat and to drink. To do what is good. 
to look for the good in our work and in our family and in the people around us to care for our neighbors. Help us to do that. And we pray to you, God, that this season where we are refraining from embracing will soon turn into a springtime of embrace and joy and hope and newness of life. For we pray this in the name of the One who gave up His freedom to live among us in a limited way. To the One who limited Himself and gave His life on a cross and gave us the hope that that season would turn as well and become a springtime of resurrection, life, and power. It is in the name of Jesus that we pray all of these things. And everyone here and online said, Amen. Would you stand and receive the blessing wherever you are? And now, may you refrain from embracing and find whatever it is that God is calling you to do that is good. May you eat and drink and love your families and care for your neighbors. And may you find that you are growing to know and trust the One who changes the seasons. And I pray all of this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. One God forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. We're going to put on the screen the ways that you can give. We'll be back next week at the same time on both Facebook Live and YouTube. Thanks so much. Let people know about this and ask them to join you online. We'll see you next week. Have a great day.